0: everyone to the catch on blog talk radio this is john fisher your host reminding you that uh you can sign up for the catch at simply catch dot and uh you'll get a daily email from me five days a week i write it fresh every morning never know what it's going to be it's always uh kind of fun and uh it's a little bit of an un, we call it the undevotional um a little bit different take on, on devotionals. but my attempt is to try and be as human as i and real as i possibly can and uh, true to my emotions and the things that i'm working through and struggling with so we can be real together and we can find the lord together so that that's kind of what we do um and uh this is a once a week show that I have the privilege of having some of my favorite people, and that's uh, we have a, try and have a guest every week, and um, that's really what it's turning out to be. I'm kind of fishing through, pulling out uh, some of the favorite people I've had uh, throughout my life, had the privilege of knowing or being around, and uh, get a chance to um, uh, expose them to you, to uh, those of you who are our catch audience and, and anyone who might come later and Listen to these. We've got a wonderful backlog, by the way, of Blog Talk uh, um, podcasts, and, and you can go back and you can hear Tony Campolo and Oz Guinness and, and uh, uh, Leonard Sweet and Frank Schaefer. We've got a wonderful group of uh, people to to listen to, and then some of you will have never heard before, and it turned out to be some of your favorites. So tonight, um, I am so excited. Uh, to have a gentleman with me and that uh, I I get a chance as I introduce him to tell him something I don't know that I've told him before. Um, But uh, I'm going to introduce you to Don Williams, who uh, who is retired, uh, who was a, a college pastor at Hollywood Presbyterian Church back in the 60s. That's when I met him. And uh, he, he and I were very much involved in in those amazing beginning years. And then Don went on to do some amazing things, uh, lecturing in religion at, at Claremont University, and and the pastoring two churches, and and uh, uh, starting another church, and just all all sorts of amazing things. But here's the thing I want to tell you about Don. And Don, Don, first welcome. You're there. I want to be sure you're there. Thanks, John. Yes, I'm
2: here.
0: (laughs) John, I want to take you back to college briefing conference at Forest Home. You remember teaching there? You must have done it a few times.
1: Uh, Yes, many many times.
0: Many times, I bet. And uh, I heard that was the first time I heard you. So I would have been that would have been uh, sixty. Uh, nine. It would have been summer of, wait a minute, summer of 65. Wow. Yes, summer of 65, hmm. because that's when I graduated from high school. And I was uh, I was uh, at Lake Avenue Congregational Church. My dad was the choir director there. That's where I grew up. And uh, so I was with the college briefing conference group, and you were teaching, I believe you were teaching Philippians, if I'm not mistaken, And um, I just was enthralled. It was the first time anyone ever took the Word of God and made it come alive. And I think it was not only what you were teaching, but it was your own personal passion that just thrilled me. I mean, I'd never seen anybody so excited about the Lord in my life.
2: Hmm. And
0: uh, I vowed that if I ever got a chance to do this, I was going to be like that. I, I was not going to bore people. I was going to be <laughs> as just ex- just excited as Don Williams. And uh, I think I've been pretty true to it. I think you'd be proud if you saw some of my uh, deliveries. Um, and, right. and you were the guy that got me started. <laughs> so this is my chance to publicly say thank you for being my mentor. And you didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't
1: know it. These are the best kind because they don't—they don't, they don't uh, chew you up and spit you out. They just happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they just happen. So, gosh, you know, what do you often think back on the Jesus movement, and and ever wonder what was that? Um, what are your thoughts now, looking back? I mean. You know, was this a real, true spiritual awakening? Uh, was it just a, a kind of cultural thing where we had a whole generation of baby boomers who were discontent, and they so for a while they got high on Jesus, and then went on to something else. What What do you think? What happened? What's your take well, on I, all you, these yeah, years? I, th-
1: I think it was a it really was a revival, if you will, or an mm-hmm. evangelistic yeah. movement. Yeah. Um, in the context of the counterculture, which was emerging in the 60s. And there are a lot of uh, radical changes, which we are experiencing in our world today. We take them for granted in a way, whether we like them or not. But the whole uh, civil rights movement, the Vietnam War, the drug culture, the sexual revolution, uh, I could go on and on on that. And it was changing everything. And uh, it left a lot of churches just kind of stuck in the past. But then God really raised up a whole new kind of generation. Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa was one of the major uh centers of that. Yeah. Our church in Hollywood became that as well. And it was it was a new thing, but it wasn't it wasn't planned. It was I I believe it was planned in heaven, but it wasn't a bunch of leaders getting together and saying, "Well, how are we going to reach this generation?" This is something God did. And it was very um very sovereign and very explosive.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you completely. You know, uh, uh, have you seen this book that came out a few years ago? Uh, Erskine was that his name? Uh, called uh, God's Forever Family. Oh uh, yes, uh, I have. He wrote yeah, about, about these. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I I thought it was. Uh, you know, it was fairly good, but I I had to take issue with the beginning because he spent all of his time uh, in in the Bay Area, uh, which is interesting because that's where I was. As a matter of being. see, I was up there. You probably might remember at uh, right. Peninsula Bible Church with Ray Steadman, yeah, and we yeah, were totally. the same. We were doing yeah, we were doing the same thing up there. In fact, we, we had to we always had fun because all the music groups from down there, we'd have to come up and we'd do Stanford university concerts, you know, and, and as we go down and play down there, it was just uh boy, it was so much fun. But, uh, mm. you, you know, um, I forgot where I was going. Where, where well, the where, Bay where area, the,
1: the Bay area and the Jesus and, movement.
0: Yeah. And, um, oh, oh, I know the book. Um, and he started off his book with Ted Wise, who I knew personally, and, and spent mm-hmm. all this time on there. And it, it gave me the impression that that's where the Jesus Movement started. That was my only problem with it, because I got to travel around quite a bit, uh, because my early ten, first 20 years were pretty much a music career. So I was going all right. over doing concerts. And then I traveled internationally. I was in Sweden and South Africa and wouldn't you agree, Don, that this thing like I love what you said it wasn't organized because it started everywhere it didn't start in one place it so what That's I true. can see it started everywhere at the same time i mean i, I toured with a yeah. guy in sweden who who was doing the same thing I was doing hmm. exactly
1: right well Don't you, it, agree? you know it it did it just exploded and it and and in Seattle and the Bay Area and down in Southern mm-hmm. California, and then far beyond um yeah and, but there there wasn't it wasn't like a you know an organized plan or anything like that and and I think uh you know the Bay Area was um Lonnie Frisbee, who then came to Calvary mm-hmm. Chapel in Costa Mesa and you know became one of the major evangelists in that period but so uh the Bay Area had its contribution, but it wasn't Certainly wasn't isolated there, and and it wasn't like the Bay Area kicked it off and then kind of got right, moving yeah. and organized because it was happening in so many different places.
0: Yeah, I really just recently I was re, I, I've gotten familiar with a church in in South Africa that started with two brothers that in 1968 were doing evangelistic meetings with uh, uh, you know with folk rock music. <laughs>
1: Really? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yep. Yeah. Same thing. And they were doing no, that in like, Africa, oh in South Africa. South Africa. South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, that's that's what convinces me. It, it was, it really was a movement of the Lord. Well, you know, in light of this, I, I, I recently read a very interesting article, and it, it, what it did is it tried to make a a correlation between the millennials, which are the eighteen through twenty nine year olds now. And the baby boomers, which are me, you and I, you know they mm-hmm. they have what they were what this article said is that they're the babe, the baby boomers, and the millennials have a lot in common for some reason that they you know they like the same music, they like the same apps, they uh, enjoy the same programs and you know and and I got to thinking about that, and I have an eighteen year span between my first two kids, they're in their thirties and then we mm-hmm. have a six we have a 16 year old and um i am closer to my 16 year old in many ways than i am to my 30 somethings and really? you know what i am finding he likes my music he he likes 70s <laughs> music it's more real to him i i can go down to the sound spectrum in here in laguna beach and they now for the first time i don't know when this started happening but it used to be a total CD store. They are mm-hmm. their LPs are outselling CDs now. It sounds really? people want vinyl again. <laughs> what is this? No.
1: Yeah, that I, it has come I, back strongly. I,
0: have you have you experienced it? Do you you know what do you think about that? Do you think there's anything to that?
1: Well, I think you know every generation. Ha- kind of has to define itself in terms of music. And and one of the ways to do that is to, uh, in a sense, go backward or rather than, you know, try to do something new in the moment. And I, I don't know. It's I mean, that whole industry, and it is an industry, but it's become so decentralized that it's very hard to generalize about it. Uh, you know, back uh, when I was... Uh, involved in youth ministry, you know, we could talk about people like, you know, the Beatles or Rolling Stones or Bob Dylan or whatever. And today it's really hard to identify uh, the point of the spear right. in terms of what's going on mm-hmm. in the culture. So I think, but but I think, uh, you know, as we are, you know, in, a, in so many ways a kind of a rootless society, there's a longing mm-hmm. for um, stability and a longing for the past. And uh, I, I have a very favorite band in Long Beach right now, and uh, they're 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 guys who are in their early late teens, early twenties, and they're really uh, impacting that city profoundly, hmm. really. But but the name of the band is the Moderates. The Moderates. you ever call a band the Moderates? <laughs> no, no, no. You have to be the Radicals or the you know or right. whatever. And uh, that's that's the way they see themselves and that's the kind of music they're performing and they're getting big big crowds so you know it's uh, the the culture is in a high degree of flux obviously when you think about what happened in paris last weekend um good and bad and uh it's very hard to define it right now i think but wow. you know but there there is there's a a longing for stability and identity, and one place you can find that is in the past and going back to the past mhm, mhm,
0: interesting. do you think that do you think that th- there there could ever be a, another Jesus movement uh, obviously not the same thing. It wouldn't be the same, but uh another another kind of of spiritual wave in the country or or even the western uh, world?
1: Well, it's funny, John, because you know because I went through that whole time and experienced so much of it, if I were to say no <laughs> that'd be really <laughs> stupid uh because uh you know if you had uh Bob Dylan says that the culture only changed in the mid sixties before then it was really the culture of the fifties and 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 the change took place and 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 the so to say that this culture today you know which is very fragmented can't really uh, change or be reached mm-hmm. or whatever is really is stupid it's just a stupid mm-hmm. and it's it has no uh, no biblical uh, <laughs> no biblical mm-hmm. truth to it and I- in fact um i live up uh, in west la now and there are mm-hmm. little church plants popping up everywhere and many mm-hmm. of them are led by young you know like like they'd be leaders in their 20s Uh, like a very significant church in Long Beach. The pastor's 30 years of age. It's called The Garden, and uh, it's an offshoot from uh, Rock Harbor Church in Costa Mm -hmm. Mesa. And uh, and it's like they had a 1,000 people there for their Easter service, which was, you know, remarkable. But the pastor's Mm -hmm. 30 years of age, and he speaks the language of his generation. And Mm -hmm. every generation has to uh find its place in in terms of the culture
0: yeah wow you i notice you've been mentoring some of those younger churches um how does that work do you feel do you feel like you can communicate to these to these uh kids shall we say um <laughs> uh, <laughs> well let me let me tell
1: you this john and you know this having a you know a teenager but we have to be good listeners and mm-hmm. if we uh, feel like we're going to just move in and tell them, you know, the truth or talk about mm-hmm. ourselves, our experience and blah, 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 you know, we're going to miss them. So we have to be good listeners. And we, Carl uh, mm-hmm. Barth, who was one of the well-known theologians of the 20th century, said we need to read the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. In other words, we need mm-hmm. to know the word of God and the world of God and we need to to be able to relate the word to the world so we need to become uh really conversant in 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 both of those we need to know know the scriptures i'm absolutely adamant about that uh but we also need to know the the world and the world is constantly changing and it's moving very rapidly think about mm-hmm. technology and all of that you know and and so uh we have to keep up and uh and and we have to learn from the kids and the generations as they Mm -hmm. appear it, you know, one, I think it was one sociologist that I read fairly recently said, you know, the generations are basically three years apart, uh, which would be the high school years. And so these, uh, Mm -hmm. generations are changing incredibly rapidly and technology is pushing everything. Uh, you know, the whole virtual thing pretty soon, it's -hmm. going to be a virtual culture, uh, which, which is being created uh for us and uh you know and, and so we need to know the world but but the problem with part of the church is it got re, came to know the world well but didn't know the word and another part of the mm-hmm. church knew the word we're standing upon the <laughs> word of god and uh, but but was really uh hostile toward the world uh, which John 3.16 says uh, is God's God's hardest for the world. And so um, one of, I think one of the interesting things that I've seen ha- happen, and I, I won't stay on this, but is um, when I was working with students, the uh, Christian schools like Biola and Wheaton and, and uh, I could go down a long list, they were very hostile toward uh or, or tended to be hostile toward culture and toward the arts especially and they were especially mm-hmm. hostile toward hollywood and uh so uh it was you know it was the view would be if you got involved in that part of the world then you would have compromised your faith and you'd you know sold out and all that but uh there's there are a significant number of young evangelicals who are um now engaging uh, the the arts in, 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 and and the the motion picture industry and and all the technology and what have you so uh, so God's on the move that's what I want to say to you and to your listeners your yeah. God's on the move and He's not trapped in time and space uh, He is sovereign over all of that and uh, He'll raise up and He is raising up a generation now whether whether there'll be anything like the Jesus Movement, it it, there, it could be. You know why? Because of what's going on in the Middle East right now. In other words, the Jesus sure. Movement partly came into being because of Vietnam. And and sure. one of the major forces behind that was the draft. You know, students were scared to death of being drafted and being sent to Vietnam. When the draft was abolished, it took the pressure off. And we haven't seen any campus riots uh related to the middle east um because the stu- the pr- pressure is off the students but um the uh you know as as things heat up in the world uh that will definitely have an impact on on this generation and uh and and god loves crises cuz he moves right in the middle of them <laughs>
0: wow that's exciting wow Don, I, I'm thinking, you know, I already found just from talking to you a few minutes before we came on the air here that uh, you, know, you have a few more years on me than I thought you had, and yet you have stayed in touch. Can, how do you do that? Um, what keeps you oh, awake and alive and, and in touch with the world and actually caring about it? You know, I mean, what keeps you from just going, oh, well, you know, it's it's just going to go by. I'm, I'm on <laughs> yeah, my way out of Yeah, there's nothing I can do,
1: out. like this yeah. cynical <laughs> uh, view or or the, you know, just kind of giving up.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I was converted, John, through Young Life when I was in high school, and I did not grow up in the church, and I didn't grow up in a Christian family, but my Young Life leader came down to the campus today that he probably would be arrested if, 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 if he were doing that today. <laughs> uh, but he came down to the campus and got to know students and, uh in other words made the first move and so that's always been my heart uh not to sit back and be cynical or you know or or indifferent to what's going on but to step into it uh and, and make, make the move young life describes it as incarnational theology the word became flesh wow dwelt among us and we need to incarnate be in, incarnational in our generation and you know let me but I, I'll answer your question directly too um you know, I find people my age. I'm going to be uh 79 in January. I find them really boring. Wow. <laughs>
0: um
1: and I don't want to spend my life uh in in a retirement facility talking about my investments and my, you know, my my uh arthritis and my grandchildren and uh and what have you. I mean, you know, so if you want to stay young, engage yourself with younger people. They will keep you young. Mm. And mm. You then, you know, for people my age, they might say, well, what would I have to say to them? Or I, I don't understand them or what have you. And just learn how to listen. Learn to be a good listener and take it from there. Wow. And God wow. will use that. And and one of the things that I really think is true, John, the way we show love to people is by listening to them. And so mm. if we learn how to listen and be good listeners, they will feel loved and we will learn and we'll be able to then connect our experience and God's word and the gospel to them
0: well wow. well wow. what keeps you what keeps you in love with the Lord what keeps you excited because that's that's you know I I sense it's it it's it's there everything that you know that that you had back there at Forest Home you still got it what, where's that, where does that? What does that come from?
1: Well, I, I think I, part of it is just seeing uh, and, and participating in what God's doing right now, you know, rather than kind of looking back with nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Or I can, you know, mm-hmm. and the problem. I mean, I love forest home, and 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 I was very much a part of that whole world for a long time. But the the problem with Christian camping is that you can look back with nostalgia and say, "Oh, I just wish that I were back at." You know, young life camp and you know, frontier ranch or what have you. Or if I were at Forest Home, and I can hardly wait till next year. Next year? Are you kidding? You know, what about right now? You know, I mean, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and you're longing for uh, you know next summer. And so, anyway, I, you know, what what keeps us alive? I, you know, apart from the the obvious, which would be to pray read God's word, build your own spiritual life, and stuff like that, is to be involved in what God's doing in the world. And, and you know, read John 3.16. It isn't any more profound than that, which is totally profound. So hmm. if we're a part of, of of God loving the world and giving... And we move in that way. And we have something to give. What do we have to give? We have to give the good news that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. He's conquered death in his resurrection. He is the risen Lord. He's reigning over culture and over history. And he will come in glory at the end of this age. And we don't have to be afraid of what's going on in the Middle East or the terrorists or what have you. Because we have a destiny that's already been sealed in the blood of Christ and in his uh, resurrection from the dead.
0: Whew, hey man. <laughs> I, I had to get a, a little preaching right in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I wanna go I wanna go back to what I think was probably the, the coolest gig I ever heard of. Um and this is probably where uh, the last I heard about you, so I you know, it took i I was so glad to find you again after so many years, but um you you went on after you got your, I, I assume your doctorate, um, I did, to yes. teach at, to teach and lecture at uh, at Claremont College, yes. and from where I understand it, you were you were lecturing like on on the New Testament or on or on some of Paul's epistles. Is that right? And 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 this is a secular campus, and kids were uh, coming. Everyone wanted to be in your class. Is that is that right? <laughs> is that the way it went
2: down?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's there's a real truth to that, John. And you know, and actually what happened was, you know, if you go back to that era, the students organized on several Claremont campuses demanding an evangelical in the religion department um because hmm. it, it, they were all liberals or or atheists or whatever. And and it was the students who put the pressure on the whole system there, and it's a it's a, a conglomeration of of, of of undergraduate colleges. But I was uh, on the faculty of what today is Claremont McKenna College, and the president mm-hmm. was very responsive to what the students were saying. And the key fundraiser was a very committed evangelical Christian, so he went out and raised the money uh, to fund the position that I then took. And interestingly enough. Um, you know, well, who shall we hire, or who who can we find that would be academically acceptable and credible and stuff? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and and they contacted Bob Munger, who was then the professor of evangelism at Fuller Seminary. Bob uh, recommended mm-hmm. me. He and I were, were old friends, and uh, you know, and because I had slugged it out and got my uh, PhD, mm-hmm. uh, I could I could qualify. And there's something to learn from this. And that is that sometimes we're, we're doing something and we think, Oh man, I don't know. Is the Lord in this? What's, you know, and, 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 and then, and I had to struggle with that when I was working on my PhD in New York city, but I just, you know, and I kind of had to work through that uh, and kind of have it out with the Lord. And I, (laughs) I surrendered and came to the point of saying, okay, I'm going to finish this and what have you. And then years later, Because I had that degree, the doors opened into the academic world. Well, that's exciting.
0: How how long uh, did you do that?
1: Um, Well, I taught at Claremont for about ten years. I've lost track uh now. You know, I'm too old to remember, John.
0: Well, but But I, I also
1: taught at Fuller Seminary and did other things too. So.
0: Yeah. So, but you would have had a lot of non Christians in your class. Classes in, in those days, is that right? Yeah?
2: True, And I yes. just,
0: I want to be a little fly on the wall, you know. I just want to see how that went down and the questions and the discussions that went, went on and how you handled teaching the Word to people who don't necessarily believe it to start with. You know, what a challenge. Well...
1: Well, you know, yeah, and, you know, you know, I mean, there, there were my <clears throat> some faculty who were very opposed to my being there, and they were scared to death that I would try to evangelize in the classroom and <laughs> things like that. But, you know, the Word of God speaks for itself, and I, I taught a lot of Scripture, and uh, I'll give you one example. One of my students, he had been in the submarine corps. He was an older student, and uh, I had to sign Romans, and they had to, you know, work on Romans and what have you, and he came to me uh, one day, and he'd been very antagonistic, you know, with his questions and very cynical and what have you. And toward the end of the semester, he came to me and he said, Don, he said, I was reading Romans last night and God spoke to me. Hmm. And I said to him, well, if God spoke to you, then you know what you must do. In other words, I didn't jump in with the four spiritual laws or anything like that. I just said, you know what you must do. And he, uh, on his exam, on his blue book, he wrote me a note at the end, saying that he'd accepted Christ. Uh, you know, he'd been in the submarine corps. His life had radically changed uh, because, you know, of, of that. And, uh, and and his he told me that his his vocabulary had been cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> did did I could guess what that what that meant? But you know, yeah. and. and, and 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 I I mean I could you know we don't have time air time but I could tell a number of stories like that from just my being there you know um, yeah I tend to I tend to be uh, you know I really believe in God's sovereignty and I believe that if we'll uh, stand for the truth and trust God and we're at where He wants us to be then we'll see things happen.
0: Mm. Wow, well that's exciting. Um, uh, you know, I just discovered that we both have a 12-steps book. <laughs> you yeah, have that's true. Step, yeah, tell me about yours, 12, 12 Steps with Jesus. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah well, tell me mine's about based, yours, and then I'll tell they, you
0: a little bit about mine. Go ahead.
1: Okay, well, uh, mine is based <laughs> on uh, the whole uh, recovery model from the AA model, and uh the reason I wrote that book is because in the in the sixties, in the Jesus movement, I became very involved with people who were drug addicts and the whole drug scene and what have you. And uh and, and that pushed me to a point where I really needed to be able to help them uh not only come to know Christ but to be healed and released from their addiction. So, you know, I mean, that would be a long story in and of itself. But so that book came out of that. And and uh, when AA started, AA, by the way, if your listeners aren't familiar, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. When it started back in the 30s of the last century, it was started by Christian and they were actually in Ohio and, uh uh, and in the twelve steps, you're to give your life to a to a higher power. Well, in, in mm-hmm. the original, uh, it was Jesus. They, you know, they didn't make any bones about it. You know, you have to uh, give your life to Jesus, and then so part of what needs to happen in recovery is for for the, that reality to be restored, rather than vagued out the way it, it tends to be mm-hmm. in, in AA today. But um, I see. Yeah, so I wrote the book for addicts. Did you use
0: the the original twelve steps or did you I make did your indeed. own no Okay. No,
1: it, it in other words the book really you is the written AA for step. people. I use the AA steps, they are not copyrighted, um okay. so I was able to use them without a problem and and uh uh you know the. Let, let me tell you from my point of view John the 12 steps are a little kind of summary of what it means to be a disciple you give up your life you have to uh uh surrender uh and and then you uh you confess your sins you take a moral inventory of your life and then you stay current with uh with the sponsor so that you're in community and then uh uh, you tell other people the good news that you can be free. And,
0: and that's, of course
1: that's discipleship.
0: Yeah. That's perfect. Oh, that's exciting. Uh for any of our listeners it's 12 steps with Jesus, is that right? And can they 12 right. steps with Jesus and can they still get it?
1: Yeah, um, and you know, they can you can Amazon? get it online through Amazon mm-hmm. and it's it's the publisher Good. now is Baker, so um yeah it's okay. out there.
0: Definitely. Great, great. Okay, well I want to ask you one more question um which comes from my book because we're we're studying uh we're going through my book now and have done this the last few weeks and mine takes a real departure from 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 those because I'm minus mine is called Twelve Steps for the Recovering Pharisee. And uh, uh, I had to put "like me" on the end uh, end of that, so people <laughs> knew I was talking talking about myself, and and you know not pointing the finger. And because then you then you are a Pharisee yourself, obviously. And uh, sure. but uh, that whole thing came from from uh, some kid that came up to me one time after I I was at one of the Christian uh, uh, concerts, you know. Um, I think it was Cornerstone in Chicago, the big uh, Christian music okay. thing out there, and and mm-hmm. this this guy came up. He'd read a bunch of my articles and a couple of my books, and he said, "I just I really like your writing." He says, "You're like a you're like a twelve step for recovering Pharisee," <laughs> and I, <laughs> I just thought that's the greatest thing anybody could ever say. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, uh, I turned good. it into a book because you know you you say you you didn't come up in a christian family you you came out of the secular life and and so that's how you have approached things i came i came out of the christian ghetto and i've always been in it and so i'm very familiar with how to fight with this stuff and what isn't real and what is and how to how to you know find the truth in the midst of all the all the fluff and uh, so that's always been a challenge for me and so this this turned into a way where I, I just feel like fair. We, you know, at Stedman at, at Peninsula Bible Church. Stedman always talked about the new covenant and um, versus the old covenant, and and that's that's where the Pharisees are, and and where so many Christians get hung up is in legalism, and mm. we get get hung up in 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 uh, in the law and in comparing ourselves with others and trying to be better and trying and all of that. And so my book is really trying to go after that and say, no, let's not be, how do we get out of being Pharisees? Because it's, that can be an addiction too. And totally. how do we get out of that? We we, we get out of that uh, primarily by facing our sin, by being real and and honest and 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 by god's by discovering god's grace and uh, mm. that's really it's a simple process but um and, and and we've been working our way through um and we're in step twelve right now, and I just wanted to ask you a question about this because of your experience uh you know in the non christian in just out in the world in general because our our twelfth step is having had a spiritual awakening. As a result of these steps, we will try to carry this message to others who think that Christians are better than everyone else. Um, I've found this whole idea of being better is is really huge for Christians, and it's also huge for people who are not Christians. That you know that go all the way back to the church lady. I mean, you can see that the world has this idea. That Christians are supposed to be better, and you know if we f- if we slip and a bad word comes out of our mouth, you know they'll get on us. Oh, well, you're not supposed to do that. You know that kind of thing. You know where does this where does this come from? This whole idea that Christians are supposed to be better, and and does it not get in the way of the gospel and of our message? And and uh, how how can we maybe uh, walk into more? more honest way. I, I just love to have you just talk about that just a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question, John. And, and I, I don't want to point the finger at anybody or any movement sure. uh, because I think that's very unhelpful and then that puts us in that whole we're better judgmental position, you know. But there, there's a major stream in Christianity which is, you know, it, it's not it's not wrong, it's right, uh, which is the holiness movement, like
2: you, you know.
1: But th- then that became defined in our culture as if you're a holy person, you don't use profanity, you don't uh, drink liquor, you don't uh, uh, mm-hmm. go to movies or plays or whatever. In other words, it became defi- defined. Holiness became defined in a very negative way. And if mm-hmm. you define it in that way, then you can justify your own life before God because I don't do these things. You know, I don't cheat on my wife. I don't take the Lord's name in vain. You know, blah blah blah. And and so th- that justifies my life, and and it's very easy then to become critical and judgmental toward people who are not living that same kind of life. So I, that's mm-hmm. a major stream historically, and you know, and it. it I don't. I'm not going to use. I'm. I'm not going to say more than that about it. But but that. That's a part of the deal. It's a part of the deal, you know. And uh, uh, the the way out of that for me, um, D.T. Niles was one of the amazing. He was from Ceylon, and he was an evangelist. And he described evangelism as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And if you (laughs) view yourself as a beggar and you're going to other beggars because you know where the bread is, that will release you from that judgmental spirit. Um and that needs mm. to be carried not simply in evangelism, it needs to be carried in the church. The church is made up with beggars who are uh, yep. uh discovering where the bread is.
0: Don, that's so cool. I, I never knew where that came from. I wrote a song on that. Uh I'm just one oh I'm not are one you gonna sing it right now all in, <laughs> I, I would like to but uh, where did you say that came from? You know, I I thought it was Martin Luther, or people have said no. It's, people. it's uh, D. T.
1: Niles. He was uh, a major D. leader in the last century. D. T. Uh, th- those are initials. Okay. I don't know what they stand for, uh, honestly. But but uh, he was he may have been a Methodist evangelist from Ceylon, mm-hmm. but he was. Okay. But I heard him speak uh, when I was in the East Coast, and that's where he came from.
0: Cool. Cool. Um, John, I'm going to stop you for a minute. Hold the hold the presses. We have a phone phone call. We hardly ever get callers, uh, but we got one. <laughs> so let oh me see God. if I can get him on. Uh, yeah, you probably somebody that knows you. Let me see if I can. Hello, we have a, a caller. What's your name? Do you want to identify yourself? Are you still there? <laughs> Hello. Yes. Hi. Hey, this is John. Yeah, this is
2: Mark. Hey, John. Hi, Mark. Yeah, you, uh,
0: uh did you have a question for John or or for me? I have a question you know Don
2: for or? both uh Don and John. Um <laughs> I want to say that uh both of you influenced me greatly in my young uh Christian life uh in the height of the Jesus movement uh through PBC and Air Press and I have some questions about what Don and you all might say Christian community can respond um to the, the notion of uh, maintaining traditional marriage and, and then the culture, how we're having to grapple and embrace uh, and engage uh, same-sex mm-hmm. marriage. And, uh, you know, how can we uh, impart grace, uh, you know, to, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes we'll say hate the sin, but, you know, love the sinner. I know Don was, uh, fought the good fight with the Presbyterian Church um, about uh, the bond that breaks and that mm-hmm. um you know we need uh to find a way to uh, be embracing uh and uh, impart the, the, the true nature of the gospel um to worship the creator and not the creation or uh, or exchange, you know, uh you know, of a lie of um yeah. you know uh that you know of uh, that kind of uh unnatural behavior and um but how can we, you know, reach out and um, penetrate uh, with a, a gospel message and um, raise up, uh, you know, hope and uh, a new way of living? Okay, okay,
0: Mark, now, the question is we're somewhere, almost, but uh, yeah, no, I, it's a big question. I, <laughs> I got your question, and um, we're almost out of time, so we're going to just talk about that question now. Okay, if I, I'm going to take you off. And then Don and I will finish up on that, and uh, okay. and we'll be on our way. But thank you so much for calling.
2: Okay. Well, I just appreciate well, Don, that uh, I'm able to be partners in the gospel with uh, cool. Don Williams and John Fisher. Uh, all the best from Mark <laughs> Don from New York. Okay,
1: Mark. Mark. Oh, thank you so much. I know who you Bless are.
2: <laughs> you. Yeah, I, I do too.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, right Okay, Don, what do you boy that's a big you know this this thing is really going to divide the church and um what do we do i you know i
1: well you know i mean it's 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 a complicated question because uh of the culture and because of of the uh, uh hostility toward gays which has been characteristic of the church um and kind of singling gays out as the ul- ultimate uh Kind of symbol of perversion and what have you, and mm-hmm. so it, it's a very complicated. The, the the response, you know, as I said before, uh, you know, we need to know the word of God and the world, and to know the mm-hmm. world in this in this context is to really understand uh, the homosexual community, to know how, mm-hmm. um, how they have been treated by the church and by our. Uh, by the traditional culture and stuff like that. In other words, we really mm-hmm. need to hear the hear from them. We need to le- mm-hmm. like if you're going to le- lead somebody to Christ, you need to listen to them. You need to listen to the pain right. of people who are trapped and and you know, and and in 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 their sexual um um pain. And and so yeah. so so that's I mean that that's a starter and the other part of it is we need to know the word of God and and uh, uh, you know it's just uh, clear I mean God has created us as male and female and male or female and this goes back to Genesis chapter one and you that's got to be the foundation and if you study gay theology which I have done they never deal with creation. They always deal hmm. with um with the, kind of the moral issues like Sodom and Gomorrah and you know and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So uh but it I don't want to give like a, a quick, you know uh answer, you just kinda shoot from the hip. Yeah.
2: It's
1: very difficult. Yeah, we can't and and we ha well, we do. De- we this is this is where I from as far as I'm concerned, where we need to be as a church, we need to be walking in the truth, we need to be supporting Marriage and family—the way God designed it to be and to be lived—and at the same time, we need to be loving and caring for people who don't agree with us and who don't want to walk in that with us. And uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. and I, you know, I've had ministry. I I was on the staff of Hollywood Presbyterian Church for over ten years. I've had a lot of. I've known a lot of gay people. I've had ministry with gays, and I've seen the, the, the gay community would really. Uh, take issue with this but i've seen people who have called themselves gay uh, changed by coming into a relationship with jesus and then living in a christian community which is uh Mm -hmm. walking in the truth of the gospel so um Mm -hmm. so i I, i'm not hopeless at all on this subject but it's very very difficult and it's obviously very politically loaded today yeah
0: yeah well I think that's as far as we can go right now. But I, I think I love the way that all the way through, you must have said it. If he said it five times, you said it ten times. We need to listen. And uh, I just think uh, I want all of our listeners to get a hold of that, that we uh, you know the know the word and know the world and learn to listen to the world. And, and I, I just think if, as far as I'm concerned with that whole thing, we need to get away from the issue and get to, to the people and uh we just we just have to love people and uh and e- 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 everything is gonna have to be taken uh one at a time i that's just the way I think that I'm learning how to do that so uh and and it's a challenge but uh the the lord is the Lord will show us the Lord is with us so um don this has been fabulous uh I can't thank you enough. And uh, we'll have to just have you on some other time if you'd be up for it, um, because uh, we've covered a lot of subjects, and we could just go on and on, I'm sure. But thank you so much for taking your time to be with us
1: right. tonight. Right. Well, it's great to be with you, John. Yeah, God bless you, buddy. And by the way, Ray Ortland and I have become, he's in Nashville. This is the son of the great, famous oh, yeah. Ray Orland pastor at Lake sure. Avenue Congregation Church. But anyway, we've become friends. So oh, that's, that's kind good. of neat.
0: In yeah, passing. Buddy. We do call him Buddy. We don't call him Ray. We call him Buddy. <laughs>
1: well, that's you see, you're, you're, <laughs> we're just long-distance <laughs> uh, friends right now. So anyway, just wanted <laughs> well, to mention No, no, that.
0: no. That, that's cool. Thank you so much, Don.
1: All right, John. Uh, God bless you. All right. And God bless, God bless, your bless you. Listening.
0: Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.
0: Well, there you go. There you go folks. Uh it's been a great night. I want to remind you about listening, listening, listening. And uh that's gonna be the key. Um as far as being in the world. Listen first, God'll show you what to say, he'll give you the love. Um, this has been great. Uh I wanna thank Don Don Williams so much. Uh what a what a guy. Um seventy nine years old, um, going strong and in connection and reading and and l- 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 learning about the world um is a good model for all of us so uh i hope you have a good rest of the week uh god bless you keep uh keep listening keep uh walking
2: You're listening to The Catch with
1: John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to
0: faith. We're just trying to get it together, We're trying to help their fellow man. We're hoping we can. Make-